Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life. Everybody say, way of life. life. You learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him, in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, it's such a gift to co-labor with you, to hear what you're saying and to walk um, that out, to take a risk, to, to listen and to obey. And Jesus, as we're going to talk about tonight, we see that everything that you do is for our freedom. So by the power of, of your Holy Spirit, would you set us free this evening? Amen. Uh, tonight I want to do something different. You know, we've been in this gospel series where we've been talking about different facets of the gospel and treating the gospel almost in this metaphor like it's a diamond, spinning the diamond and seeing the different edges of the diamond and how it refracts different truth and different aspects of the gospel. And so we started with the gospel of the kingdom. A lot of people, when you ask them, like, what's the gospel? They'll instantly go to substitutionary atonement, uh, which is a part of the gospel. It's a significant part part of the gospel. But what Jesus comes preaching is not substitutionary atonement, uh, though the later New Testament authors and Jesus eventually gets there and, and talks about what his death means. But Jesus comes on the scene and he preaches the kingdom. And, and what he's essentially saying is there's an entire new way to be human, an entire new way to be alive. The, the next week, um, last week, we talked about uh, the atonement and what does his death actually accomplish? Well, this week, what I want to do is I want to... I talk about something different, and I want to talk about how to change. (laughs) How do you take what we've talked about with what the gospel is, and how do you apply it in such a way that you become more like Jesus? How does that actually happen? Uh, This is a deep desire of every believer. In fact, every single person probably sitting here this evening wants to change in one way or another. 
there's something on your mind, there's something in your future, that you would like to go a specific way. Uh, for some people, this is the question of their life. How do I change? How do I actually make progress in my character? Or in the language of Paul here, like how do you put off the old self practically? How do you really do it? And how do you put on the new self? Well, I think that there are two types of change that we see in the church today, or two methods of change that we see in the church today. Breakthrough and process. There's breakthrough change, and then there's change that is more of a process. Breakthrough change are those moments, they're the and suddenly moments, where everything changes in a moment. You were one way, and then something happens, and now you're a completely different way. And we celebrate those all the time. Normally, those are our testimonies. We tell testimonies, we prayed for this, and God did this. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Our church is full of uh, breakthrough change moments. And in fact, that's what I experienced when I first became a Christian. I was 17 years old. I'd had a really tough junior year of high school, like many junior, juniors in high school, and I had come to pretty much the end of all of myself. <laughs> all of the things that I had tried to, to get joy into my life had not worked, and I, I, was, I was just desperate for real, lasting joy, joy that lasted. That's what I was really after. And so when I became a Christian, uh, my life went from seeking all of the things that I wasn't finding joy in to a complete 180 to just all of the passion and energy I'd put into those things, I put into him. Radical change. Radical change. I remember I came, it was over the summer, and so I came back from my senior year of high school, and I had friends who were like, who are you? I had teachers that were like, what the heck happened to you? You were the troublemaker, and now you respect me. You're like coming and sharing prophetic words with me. Like, what is going on? Like, this is crazy. I didn't call them prophetic words back then. I just thought they were nice thoughts. But, um, but anyways, I was like, I, I was just totally, totally different. And this kept going for years. From 17 to probably 22, uh, I was just a change machine. I was just changing all the time. The Lord was, was cutting things out of my life and, and giving me new things. I had such a hunger and desire for the scriptures. I was just devouring them, and he was just pouring himself out in my life. Um, but then something happened around 22, which is also when I started working for the church. So I, I don't know. Maybe it's just a coincidence. Who knows? But you start getting a paycheck to be a Christian. It's kind of weird. So I... I, I started noticing that the change was slowing down. And I started seeing some things in my life, some character issues in my life, that I just couldn't get breakthrough in. And I was like, what the heck? What is going on? And I realized that there is a journey of process and discipleship for me to go on. That's what I realized. There, that pro, it's not just breakthrough, although you know, the best process and, and the best journey is the journey of breakthroughs, right? But it's not only those and suddenly moments. There are things that the Lord slowly teaches us as we walk hand in hand with him. But I want to ask you this question tonight. What is that journey like for you? What does that journey feel like for you? What, 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 is, what, is, what are the emotions like really, you know, sometimes you're like, no emotions. No, 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 I want you to tap in. What are the emotions like on that journey? See, there are a lot of books and descriptions and recommendations for this journey out there, aren't there? So there's always a new book that some like 25-year-old pastor's written, and you're like, hmm, not much journey under your belt, but you're gonna tell me about discipleship. Okay, um, my wife has a rule. She's like, no books till 50. I'm like, okay. 
Um, and, and maybe you're like me, and you have had people tell you or show you with their lives that this is a serious journey. Um, this, th- this discipleship stuff, the first date, the honeymoon stage is over. This is what I picked up and this is what I caught is that what it is time, no more messing around with all the, you know, la-di-da, you know, Jesus is showing up in a moment. No, it's time to get down to the nitty-gritty and really go through the process. It's time to be a disciple. See, I began to see at this time in my life people who thought that they needed more structure to suffice for the waning feeling and passion that they once had. They're like, I was so passionate and now I'm not, so I need to get more disciplined, I think. I was told, don't chase a feeling. You ever hear that? Don't chase a feeling. Christianity's not about feelings. You won't always feel that way. I remember I even met with somebody that I deeply, profoundly respect, a mentor of mine still. And he said, well, you know, I explained this whole dilemma I was having. You know, I used to be so on fire for the Lord, and now I'm just in this process, and it's so just blah. He's like, well, you know, uh, Mother Teresa you know, she, she, she wrote about a very similar thing happening in her life. She had tons of passion, and then she just lived on discipline for the rest of her life. And I'm like, I don't want that. Like, that's not what I want. But I begin to think, like, maybe they're right. All the smart people are saying that this is a very difficult process, this thing, discipleship. So maybe they're right. And my character began to confirm this. It seemed like I wasn't becoming more loving or more pure. And maybe I was just chasing this youthful high. Have you ever been there? (laughs) Flamed out? Disillusioned? See, what I have come to believe today is that the problem was that I was trying to continue with structure and discipline what had began with passion and intimacy. Let's unpack this a little bit because tonight I want to talk about process. I want to talk about your process of discipleship, applying the gospel to your life. And here's sort of my thesis for tonight. Get your phones out. Take a photo of this. This is my thesis for this evening. Next slide. Uh, The process of discipleship is about becoming a child again through the exchanging of fear for freedom through seeing God accurately. Like, what is discipleship? That's what I, you want my opinion? Here's my opinion. That's my opinion. The process of discipleship is about becoming a child again through the exchanging of fear for freedom, through seeing God accurately. So let's start here. Turning your Bibles to the left, if you're already in Ephesians, to John chapter 15. To the left in your Bibles, just a few pages over, to John 15. That's where we're going to begin. John 15. We're going to look at a bit of scripture tonight, so get your page-turning fingers ready, your scrolling fingers ready, your typing fingers ready, whatever you do to get there. John 15, and here's where we're going to start. I want to talk about the happy journey of glory to glory. The happy journey of glory to glory. There is a trajectory for every person in Christ should they remain close and tender to the Lord's voice. There's a trajectory for your life. Did you know this? And John 15 talks about this. Here's what Jesus says in verse one. He says, I am the true vine and my father, remember that word father, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean or cut 
You are already cut because of the word I have spoken to you. Pause for a second. How does God discipline us? By speaking. He speaks truth. It prunes a fear. We're going to talk more about this. Verse 4. Remain in me as I also remain in you. This is the point. You're going to get this over and over again. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. You want a fruitful life? You want change? We're getting an insight here, guys. Verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. You ever felt like you've been withering? Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this. And here's the key, the key verse for tonight. I have told you all of this, all this remain stuff, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. How does God get glorified by us? I think sometimes we think God gets glorified when, you know, there's an amazing worship set like we just experienced, and they're like, no, oh, it wasn't me, that was the Lord, man. That was all him, strumming that guitar and, and playing that piano. That was all him. This is not how God gets glorified according to this passage. How God gets glorified, look down at your Bibles, verse 7. If you remain in me, <clears throat> and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. In other words, pray, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. How do you glorify God? You ask for whatever you think you need, whatever you think your people need, and when he does it, it glorifies him. God is glorified through us co-laboring with him hand in hand, saying, this is my desire, God, for this situation. This is my desire for my life. Would you come and would you do this thing? And God is glorified. He's glorified when you get answers to your prayers. See, we were designed for fruit. Humans, you, were designed to see impossible become possible. You were designed to see people set free, to see deep pain in people's lives turn into a weapon for the Lord. All through your life, all through your influence, that's what, you, that's what this is telling you right here. You were designed for fruit. So all of life... For the disciple is a journey of bearing some fruit, getting cut with his words, and then bearing more fruit. This lifestyle, this whole lifestyle that he's teaching, this is what gives you joy. Verse 11, look back down at your Bibles. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And so here's the principle. Here's the principle. Next slide. God has tied our joy to our fruitfulness, and he has tied our fruitfulness to his presence. God has tied, it's like, 
He wants us to have fruit so that we can have joy, but we only get fruit if we're close to him. You only get change if you're close to him. What I want you to see is that God is not demanding morality. He's after your joy. And he wants you to so remain in him that you get corrected quickly by his voice and you bear more fruit. That's what he's after. Now, this is not what I had caught in church about discipleship. I don't know about you. This is not what I caught. Maybe I was taught this. This is not what I caught. What I had caught about discipleship is that there is a goal to it or a specific kind of person that God wants me to be, and I'm not that kind of person right now. And so techniques and books and conferences were needed so that I could become that person. But what I didn't understand then that I do now is that fathers, what does he say here? I am the true vine and my father. You don't just have a gardener in your life. You have a father gardener in your life. What I didn't understand then that I understand now is that fathers celebrate all growth, not just specific kinds of growth. Uh, With my little girl, Georgie, she's a little over a year and a half now, and she's doing all kinds of cool stuff to me. To you guys, it's probably not that cool. To me, it's very cool. She's talking, she's walking, she's, she's you know, singing. Uh, we, we do this thing, we'll put music on in the living room and we'll dance around and then we'll, we'll lay on the ground and just kind of roll around on the ground and she's like catching on that this is what we do when music comes on. So she'll just lay on the ground, wait for the music to come on and they're, you know, we're worshiping together, all that. And today I sit, I sit down at the table with her. She has this little table in her room and we're, she's got her coloring book out. This is one of those things, cool to me, not to you. I get, just trust me, there's payoff. Uh, and she, she holds up a crayon Uh, that is pink, and she goes, pink. And I'm like, whoa, you know pink? Let's go, this is awesome, yes, that's incredible. Why? I'm a dad. Dads celebrate all growth, no matter how small. What this does, when you understand that there's a father who's gotten into your garden, what this does is it changes how you see him. We have a happy journey with a father who's after our joy. Let's just say that. We have a happy journey with a father who's after our joy. Okay, I'm going to say it, then you say it. We have a happy journey with a father who's after our joy. Is that how you feel about the process? <laughs> Some of you are like, well, not really. And, and this father wants us to experience the great pleasure of getting wins personally and corporately. That's called fruit. The great pleasure of seeing somebody's life change and you were there for it. Seeing something that once was true about you is no longer true about you and you've changed. It is God's desire that joy would lead your life. Think about... Um, Think about his words to us. He says this in Philippians 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will, I say it again, rejoice. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Psalm 16, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. So so discipleship, life transformation becomes a happy path journey of walking in the delight of a paid-for reality and with a father who celebrates all of my growth, no matter how small, and whose aim it is that I would get more fruit and get more joy. When you see this, 
and you see the flaws of your own character, oh, I have a good father, I see the flaws of my own character, I am now drawn closer to him rather than hiding or running away from him. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 says this. It says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate or gaze at the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. When you understand the kind of father you have and you're drawn in in those moments of like, I can't believe I did it again. I can't believe that this is still an issue. When you really have a good image of who he is, the true image, you are drawn closer, you contemplate, and you become like him. That's how you change. Seeing him clearly produces a glory-to-glory journey. That's what this is saying. And we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing, everybody say increasing, glory. Ever-increasing glory. Sometimes we have it in our minds, and this is what I, what I was talking about. We have it in our minds that discipleship is a glory-to-eh kind of process. It's like, what's your, what's your discipleship like? It's glory-to-eh. It's like, I'm a Christian. I know, yeah, I'm still a Christian. I still, yeah, I read the Bible every now and then. Eh. No, 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 no. You are on a glory to glory trajectory. You're getting more glorious. As you say yes to him, you're gonna become more glorious. That's what this passage says. See, this is one of the best tests for whether you're really seeing God for who he is or if you're seeing a distortion. Are you on a glory to glory trajectory? If you're not, you're like, that's not what I'm on right now. You're not seeing him. You need to see him again for the father that he is. So here's what I want to do. I want to just pray for you real fast before we move on. If anybody struggles with seeing God clearly for who he is, I'm going to pray for you. You don't need to raise your hand or anything. But God, would you show us your glory? In the language of Moses, would you just show us yourself? I love the passages of the Psalms that say, when I awake and you're with me, I will be satisfied with seeing your face. God, would you show your face? Would you turn your face upon these people? Would you so minister to them deeply from who you are, your presence in their bedroom, your presence in their car, your presence with them at work? Show us your glory that we might become more like you. Amen. Now, what what happens when you see him clearly is that you begin to change from love instead of fear. What, What I mean is this. Your change or your discipline for change isn't motivated by fear of punishment, it's motivated by seeing his love. That's the difference. When you really understand the gospel, you're not gonna change because you're afraid of what he thinks, you're gonna change because he's so loving. So many of us, we approach discipleship with a fear of God's anger towards us as our motivation for change. And so we're actually doomed from the start. If you use fear of, of, of God's punishment as your motivation, it, it, the whole thing is thrown off. See, we need to see this. Fear of punishment is null for the believer because all wrath has been taken out on Jesus on the cross for sin, and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus according to Romans chapter 8. So, yeah, that's good news, actually. They're like, one, whoo. Uh, no, that's like really good news. It is no longer legal According to the blood of Christ, it is no longer legal for me to fear punishment because Jesus has been adequately punished for sin, so to speak. So what the gospel says is that you have to change your motivations for change altogether. Because if you use fear of punishment to bring about your good behavior, you haven't actually dealt with the real issue. 
Here's what I mean. Okay, here's my little, like, picture metaphor for you. Okay, so let's say that I'm hanging out with a group of friends, and the conversation with the group of friends turns to somebody that we all know who's not present there, and everybody's like, that person is so amazing. I'm like, yeah, yeah, they are pretty amazing. And they're like, no, no, they are so amazing. Like, they are so rich, but they're so generous. It's like, okay, so they're rich and they're generous? It's kind of annoying. You're like, okay, I'm neither of those things. And I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, so this person is not only blessed by God, but they're also the most generous person. And so it's just like, oh. Because I have this feeling in me at that moment because I look at my life and I go, yeah, I'm not rich or generous. And I'm not full of trust in God. And so I don't see the same things that this person is seeing in their life. And honestly, hearing about it's a little bit annoying because I see the gap between who I want to be and who I am. I wish I could change. I want the same generosity, but when the time comes to trust, I just think naturally, and I think, I don't really know if God's actually going to provide for me, so I'm not sure that I can really give there. I'm not sure that I can really give here. Well, if my character in that moment, here's, what, here's, what, here's how we change, right? Here's what we've been talking, been talking about. If my, if my uh, character in that moment isn't generous and isn't trusting of God, I need to know why. Why, Alex? Why do you feel this way? And if I were to really dig down, invite the Lord into this, and I were to draw close to my good Father's presence, I would find out that the reason is that I'm afraid. There's fear there. And I'm afraid that I won't get what I need or that I won't have enough or that God doesn't have my best in mind. And right there is where I go to my father and I say, but God, you're the God of provision and surplus. You can do anything. So pour yourself out in my life and would you bring me to a place of generosity by seeing you adequately and accurately? Would you do that, right? Now, let's say that I don't do that. Let's say that I'm in that moment, I'm like, all my friends like this guy way more than me and he is awesome, but ugh. So then what I do is I think, I'll use fear, well, I don't think this, but subconsciously, here's what happens. I'll, I'll go, I'll use fear and pride to change. And so what I do is I go, Alex, sheesh, you're a Christian. You should give. You should be generous. It's what you should do. I mean, think of what God thinks about your stinginess. He who did not spare his own son, and here you are, you can't even give a little bit of money to this person over here. Ah, tisk tisk. Or I think to myself, Alex, think about what people would think of you if they knew how stingy you really are. And so then I go, okay, yeah, you know, I should give. Here's the problem. I have simply transferred my fear from the fear of lack to the fear of punishment or of people's opinions of me. And I'm now going to have to deal with that fear later. That's going to crop up in my life somewhere else. See, see, the problem is this. When we don't understand our good dad and the happy path of his presence, when we don't understand that we use for motivation the very thing that God wants to get out of our lives, fear, pride, See, the problem wasn't my lack of generosity. That's not the problem God saw. The problem was that I couldn't trust him. And that can only be solved through drawing close and looking at him. How do you change? How do you change? So here's the point. 
I personally have committed, this is like, <laughs> if you ever think I should be guilty for things and I'm not, some, pe- some people close to me, I think, I think, I'm like, I think you think I should be guilty for this, but I don't feel guilty, here's why. I have committed, because I'm standing on the truth of his love that I no longer use, get to use fear or guilt to motivate morality in my life. I won't do it. God's goals for me are not a moral standard, but a free relationship that destroys fear. And when that happens, he gets my morality as well. Okay, so practically, let's, let's bring the plane down to earth just a little bit. How do you, what do you do when you sin? Like, okay, practically, like, when you sin, what do you do as a believer? I would argue this. I remember, was it, we were having a conversation, this is like now a couple of years ago, um, or a year and a half ago or so, and, I, and I, I think I said this to you, and I was just recalling that conversation. This is, uh, this is one of those, those things that I live by. What you do when you sin tells you everything that you need to know about what you believe about the gospel. What you feel when you sin and what you do when you sin tells you what you really think about the gospel. <laughs> okay. If I know that he's a good father who literally died to kill the power of sin in my life, who celebrates all growth no matter what, and wants to set me free from fear through giving me himself, here's what I pray. Essentially, this is what I pray. I kind of like made a general prayer. This is what I pray. When I sin, here's what I say. God, I'm sorry for what I did. I have a responsibility to say no to serpent thinking that leads to serpent activity. I made a choice based upon fear, lies, or pride to do this. I repent. I know that nothing I can do would make you think any less of me. Help me to renew my mind. Draw me close to you and your fathering voice that I would think like you and act like you. That's what I do. When you sin, what do you do? I'm gonna confess, I made this choice. I didn't say no to the serpent thoughts and I got serpent behavior. And so I'm coming to you again. Would you renew my mind and show me how much you love me? When I sin, I'm literally, I, now, and I, and I catch myself, I go, okay, Lord, show me your love. So normally, here's what we do when we sin. We go, I'm really sorry about that. And um, I won't do it again. I really, okay, I'm not gonna do it again. And he's like, my child, come here. He's a good dad. He's a good dad. The lie of the serpent collaborates with the fear of the garden, and it's this. You're dirty, and you need to hide yourself before God when you sin. When in reality, what the scriptures say is that we make progress as we draw near. We make progress as we draw near. (laughs) The question many of us need to think about uh, tonight, and we need to ask ourselves this question about discipleship is this. Will introspection change you more than father-spection? Will your, do you have more ability to do introspection to such a degree that you will be able to change yourself more than gazing at him? One of, the, one of the greatest lessons I think I've ever learned about this discipleship process is that I'm not the shepherd. <laughs> I'm not in charge of my own discipleship. I'm not in charge of my change. I'm in charge of my response to the shepherd. Psalm 16, verse 11 says this, you make known to me the path, everybody say path, of life. 
You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You make known to me the path of life. See, I don't come to God, like as a believer, I've seen this so often, like, and, and I, I want us to like shake this off because I don't think it's in line with the gospel. I don't come to God with a discipleship plan based upon what I would like to see changed in me. I don't come to him and go like, hey, so I've been thinking we should change this about me. Um, see, it's his path, not mine. <laughs> like, we grew up in this, you know, I don't beat up on individualism all that often, but just for a moment. We grew up in this individualistic culture that said everybody has a life journey and a life path. And it's really an important thing. And so when you become a believer, you invite God to basically bless that life journey, that life path. In fact, that life journey and life path is gonna get exponentially better because now you've surrendered to Jesus but here's the thing. When you come into Christ, you give up your path and you go on his path. There's no life path for you. There's his path. You make known to me the path of life. You make known to me the path of life. It's his path. I've often found that where I go off in my, in my discipleship with Jesus is, is when I begin to speak to him about an issue that he's not speaking about. When I, I, just the other day, I was, um, the Lord's been doing so much in my life. We, we went away on this conference uh, down to Reading um, at Bethel, and just was, it was really, really a good time with our leadership team. And, uh, and some things that Jake and Andoni and Bria spoke into my life, I've just been meditating on just prophetic words, things that are really important. And so like every night, the past couple weeks, I've just been staying up late, just asking the Lord to speak to me on these things and give me insight, re revelation into how he sees me, all of this. It's just been wonderful. And the other night, I'm sitting up uh, late at night, and I'm going, I'm kind of waiting. I'm like, hey, do you want to say anything to me? I'm listening, you know, and I'm like, there's not really anything there. Is he, are you sure you're not saying anything? And so then I go, okay, well, here's the thing. I, I want to talk about this. I think there's an issue here in my character that I'd like to address. Instantly, like a stone wall. Just what it felt like. And I just got the message loud and clear, okay, we're not talking about that right now. And in that moment, I felt the Lord just say, put some worship music on and lay down. See, sometimes we think discipleship only happens through the mind. But there are things that where, when his spirit connects with ours, we can make 10 years of progress in a minute if we're simply attentive to his voice. This is what it means. I'm, I'm the vine, you're the branch. Remain in me, remain in me. I don't have my own idea about what discipleship is supposed to look like. I simply come to him and I say, I'll only do what I see you doing. See, see here's the goodness of our Father is that I could have a hundred things that are off in my life and in my mind that are wrong. And God could have grace or he could cover 99 of those things while he just addresses the one thing. I think he does this all the time. <laughs> and the good news is that I don't have to guess what he's covering or dressing, I simply get to get close. I get to look at him and find out what his plan for me is. This is how we change. All of my fear conquered by all of his love to make me more fruitful and full of joy. Say that after me. All of my fear conquered by all of his love to make me more fruitful and full of joy. All right, let's stand together.
Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.